welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I am so very grateful to be here, first of all, very grateful to be here. I love to come here. I really do. Uh, as Pastor Harry said, it's it's very much like family, you know. And I just love it here. Um, I'm also very excited to be here because I've prayed. <laughs> Pastor Harry asked, would you be available to do this? And I was like, well, yeah. Uh, you know, I've prayed about it. And then I wrote him back and I said, yeah. I am available. And then I went back to the Lord to say, now that I'm available, do you have something to say? I'm not um, uh, anymore one of those that is necessarily going by series because I, I no longer pastor a church. So I really rely even more than ever on that word for that person, that congregation. See what I mean? And today, I believe I have that word for us today. Amen? Um, got a lot of scriptures written out and highlighted so that I didn't have to clutter everything up with the Bible. I was reading one day a book by a man named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was probably one of the top ten greatest preachers ever. Truly. Not just because he was the most eloquent that I've ever read or heard, but there was depth, there was truth, there was experience, there was meaning. His entire life, from the time he was a child, he walked with God. He was an incredible man. And then I read this statement one day, and it took me aback. It didn't sound like something that somebody from the late 1800s or mid-1800s would say, okay? It didn't sound like uh, uh, Christian stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Certainly wasn't religious. <clears throat> this is what he said. When you sleep at night, contemplate that you are resting in enemy territory. Let me read that one more time. When you sleep, contemplate that you are resting in enemy territory. That's okay, Charles. <laughs> what do that mean? You know, I mean, whoo. I mean, I'm getting chills remembering the moment that I read that. I was. It, there was something in it that grabbed me, you know? But I couldn't tell you why at the moment. 
was like, I, I, there's, there's something in this, but where's this going? The children of Israel had been delivered from bondage in Egypt. They'd been there for 400 years. Now they're free. God sent a man down there named Moses to call out his people to bring them forth out of that slavery, walk them across the desert into a land that he was promising them for perpetuity. That's good news. They left and started out across, across the desert. When they got there, they discovered something. Their promise, their land, their destination that God himself was taking them to was full of enemies. Full of enemies. Now, I grew up in southeast Dallas. I don't know if you know anything about southeast Dallas, but it's a great place to be from. Not going to. I grew up literally, not exaggerating, surrounded by enemies. It's a rough area. I, I, I had a job one time when I was uh, later on in life, not as a teenager growing up there, but, but later on in life I had a job. and There was a guy there that uh, uh, liked to push his weight around a little bit. Okay? So one day he walked up behind me. Now, I'm, I'm a Christian now. I'm trying to walk with Jesus. <laughs> trying my best to walk with Jesus, okay? But, but I'm still kind of not in the mood to get bumped into and pressured to, to be bullied, you know, that kind of thing. And so he bumps me in my back and dragged his shoulder across my back and then stepped back and waited for my response. Well, you know what that was like, right? So I stood there and I went, okay, Jesus, help me here, help me here. <laughs> and I turned around and leaned up against my workstation and just looked at him. He said, where are you from, man? I said, here? He said, no, I mean, where are you from originally? I said, Dallas. He said, Southeast Dallas? I said, how do you put my white Irish butt in Southeast Dallas, man? <laughs> just, you know, just like that. He said, you didn't get that look from North Dallas. <laughs> surrounded by enemies. Now here they go into the land and they're, they're, they're surrounded by enemies. They go into the land, they send 10 spies in and, and they see all of these enemies and they're not just enemies. They're not just people that are opposing their, their claim to this land. They're giants. Big people. I mean, the average Jew in those days was about this tall. Goliath was over nine feet tall. You see what I'm saying? That's big to me. In, in our modern day, that's big. I've been around professional football players, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> These guys are massive. You know who Andre the Giant is? Yeah. All right. I bumped into him literally in Dallas when he first came to the United States. My face plant into his belly. 
introduced me to him in a moment. He was coming out of the store I worked in, Neiman Marcus downtown. He was coming out of the store. I literally bumped into him right about here, in his, right at his uh, sternum. And I stood back. I said, oh, God, yeah. And I really did. I, God. His head was massive. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't just a big guy. He was massive. And he goes, huh. Israel is surrounded by Andre the Giants. You see what I'm saying? And, and they weren't even as tall as me. I'm not that tall, but I'm just saying compared. So they got there. I'm sure they, were, they walked into the land and said, this is the promised land, huh? What? Eight of them came back giving a bad report saying we can't do it. There's no way. The land is full of giants. There is no way we can take that land. They will devour us. We look like grasshoppers in our own sight. Therefore, we were in theirs. Do you hear that? How you feel about yourself has a whole lot to do with how your enemy feels about you. You hear me? <laughs> so eight of them came out with a bad report. Two of them came back and said, don't listen to them. We can do this. <clears throat> Joshua and Caleb, we can do this. The Lord has sent us here. Our God is with us. He will enable us. But the majority of the people believed the eight versus the two. And they could not enter in. But Joshua and Caleb and their families were the only two out of their generation that God promised you will go in. You're going to have to wait a while. You're going to have to eat some dust for the next 40 years along with all of these unbelievers. But I'm going to pull you in. And y'all are going to be leaders in the next move of the Spirit. Amen. Now, God knew he was taking them into enemy territory. How weird is that? I'm going to take you to a place that's filled, a land of milk and honey. It's got grapes <clears throat> so big that, that, that you have to take a log to haul them out. On It's an incredible place, fertile land, beautiful country. You're going to love it. That's like false advertisement about a vacation you're going to take someplace, right? Or land uh, that you're going to try to buy and it turns out to be desert instead of beautiful mountains. You see what I'm saying? That's what they, they thought when they got there. What is up with this? But Jesus, his father didn't treat him any differently. Jesus goes down to the river to be water baptized, comes up out of the river, water baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and the first thing the Holy Spirit says is, now let's go to the wilderness for 40 days, and I'm not going to let you eat anything, and you're going to get real tired and real thirsty, and just when you're at your weakest point, I'm going to bring the devil down. Because I'm taking, the Bible literally says he took him into the wilderness to be tempted. 
Now, the Bible also says that never say that God tempts any man. But he will allow us to be tempted in order to draw out of us, to create within us everything that he has intended for us to become. And then from that becoming to do. Hallelujah. It wouldn't be my choice. Wouldn't be anybody's choice. But here we go again, right? I told the Lord, I said, you really want me to preach this, huh? <laughs> what I'm about to tell you all today. Because this is, this is just the intro part. You, <clears throat> you really want me to preach this, huh? Because I said, I know what's going to happen. I start talking about this, and I'm going to get hit. Always. Always. And yesterday, boom, <laughs> I got hit. I went straight to my study. You can ask my wife. Went straight to my study, pulled my guitar out. I strummed that chord, and I started singing my song. I said, Lord, I don't feel like singing right now because I just took a hit. I am going to sing. We'll talk more about that in a minute because that's part of the message today. But you got you to, gotta, the old saying, practice what you preach. You have to. We can't, we can't go out here and tell people all about the kingdom of God if we're not walking in the kingdom of God. We can't tell them about all about the love of Jesus and we don't like them. Uh, let's say even more so, we hate them. We don't want to be around them. We don't want to talk to them. They don't agree with us. We don't agree with them. Oh, come on, get out of my face. You don't even have to talk to me anymore. I will unfriend you. Now, some people need to be unfriended. I'm not saying nothing about that. <laughs> All I'm saying is, is that the, 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 point is to love people to to preach the gospel from a place of experience not just telling folk out there what what the pastor said on Sunday and that's no different than than the seven sons of Sceva who heard Paul preach about this Jesus who delivered right and they get over there and say, you know what, that sounds pretty good. And we've seen him do some of this stuff. Now, this, this dude over here, he's possessed with a devil. Let's go over there and deliver him from that devil. So they go over there. And this is what they said. We cast you out in the name of this Jesus that Paul preaches. That's the same thing as saying, Brother, I'm going to cast that demon out of you in the name of Jesus that my pastor preaches about all the time. Huh? I'm telling you, it's got to be real down on the inside. And what happened to the seven sons of Sceva? That demon said, hmm, I know Paul. I know Jesus. Who are you? Boom, whipped them all good. That's how it works. Paul didn't get whipped like that for one reason, because he was the one that knew Jesus. 
and he knew who he was in Jesus. Hallelujah. Can't you just see when Jesus was in the wilderness with the devil, can't you just see? Because here's the bottom line. There was a time when a third of all the created beings that we call angels were cast out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan like lightning cast out of heaven. Like lightning. You know what that means? That means that God slam dunked him like a rock. Bam! Get out of my heaven. That's exactly what that was like. Now Jesus is in the wilderness getting reacquainted with his old enemy. Can't you? If it was today, this is what it'd be like. Well, hey, Jesus. Remember me? You cast me out of heaven. Jesus would say, yeah, I remember you. Just get on with your business. <laughs> Jesus didn't do all that talking business unless he had something really to say. That same Jesus that cast the devil out of heaven for rebelling against God and all the, other, the rest of them, the third of angels that rebelled against the rule of God. He said, now, that same authority that I walk in, I give you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all. Everybody say all. What, is, what does all mean? What does the original word mean, all? It means all of it. Simple as that. I give you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome, to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means harm you. Now that's the entity, the God, the Son of God, the truth, the light. Everything that God is was speaking this to 12 men saying, I now give you that authority. I cast him out of heaven like a lightning bolt because I am the living word of God. And when God spoke, out I came and got it done. And the same authority that I accomplished that with, I now give to you. I know that most of y'all probably, when I said, uh, when I read what Mr. Spurgeon said, when you sleep, contemplate that you are resting in enemy territory. Most of you probably stopped right at, we're in enemy territory. And that's all you heard me say. Because we usually stop, see, at some point in time in a message. And sometimes if you can see people's faces good enough, you can see where they stopped in the message. <laughs> Truly. Because right there, they either don't like what you said, 
or it hit them real good and they're just kind of going to meditate on that now because that's really what the that's probably the only thing that the Holy Spirit wants them to concentrate on see what I mean so <clears throat> preachers ought not to ever get offended when people go blank because <laughs> something's going on now if they're about to go to sleep then you're probably the problem <laughs> not not you know the preacher's probably the problem not y'all <clears throat> When uh, see, I got all kinds of stories written down here. Oh man, I got all kinds of stories, <laughs> and so I'm trying to filter. Holy Spirit, what, which one do you want me to do next? <clears throat> when God took the children of Israel into Israel, the second generation, the ones that believe now, led by Joshua and Caleb. They went into Israel, and what does God do? First thing he says was, I want all of you guys to renew your covenant with me. They're like, okay. But the covenant required that all males of a certain age would be circumcised. And, and then suddenly all the warriors went, oh. And yet, to this they were called. Can't take the land unless you're circumcised as a sign of your covenant with me. Now, a reasonable man would have said, now, wait a minute. <laughs> We're in enemy territory. If we get circumcised, we can't fight. Not as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes us real vulnerable to the enemy. And here we are. That don't make sense, Lord. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that now? He chose that place just like he did for Jesus. He want, Jesus went into the wilderness, the Bible says, filled with the Spirit. But he came out of the wilderness after being tempted and overcoming and proving, right? He came out of the wilderness, it says, in the power of the Spirit. Which one do you want to do? Just be filled and go on and let's just make, you know, nicey-nicey? Or do we want to be filled with the Spirit and the power of the Spirit from that experience of being overcomers? He chose that place for that very reason. He chose that time and that place for that very reason. I really believe this. To get them to a place of vulnerability. To get them to a place of weakness. Because you see, God doesn't need our strength. 
He doesn't require our strength except to lay it down at his feet so that he can become our strength. He doesn't expect us to walk in our own might or power. In matter of fact, he says in the word, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord, that all these things will get done. It's in our weakness, the Bible says, that he then becomes strong within us. His strength rises up within us because we realize we don't have it. It's like in 2 Chronicles 20, 20, or 20, and then it's in 2020. <coughs> but in 2 Chronicles 20, uh, 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 Jehoshaphat and, the, and the, 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 all of Israel were surrounded by enemies. And they, I mean, they were literally had no chance of, of making it unless God did something. And so the prophets spoke and they believed and they prayed. And when they prayed, they said, Lord, you are the God of heaven. And we are surrounded by these enemies and we have no might against these enemies and neither do we know what even to do. But our eyes are on you. Then they got the straight of it. They put the singers and the musicians out front of the army. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's it. And the Bible says they began to march to the battle that in their own strength they could never win, and they knew it. They put the singers and the presence of God in that ark. They lifted it up on the priest's shoulders. They began to sing and to praise God with instruments and voices and the Bible says that when they began to sing, when they began to sing, the Lord himself set ambushments against their enemies and they were all dead bodies. When they got there, the whole valley was filled with dead bodies and all they did was go through and take up all the spoils and bring it back. It took them three days to gather up everything. When they began to sing, Lord, have mercy. When we just begin to sing, when I hear my first chord coming out of my guitar, I just soak that chord up for about five, ten seconds and go, yes, let's go there. It's important. It's important when you begin to sing, something begins to transform in your heart because when you don't feel like it, then it is obedience. And obedience is worship. Giving is worship. I was telling my wife a story the other, the other day just, just recently about a, an old lady. We, in our church, we were building a building. <clears throat> and there was a move. I mean, there was a literal move of the Holy Spirit, Rowena, that people just began to give so much. It just happened. I don't even, I can't even describe to you. And here was the thing. It became not about the building anymore. It was the move of the Holy Spirit causing people to give. That's what happened in the New Testament with the first church, Remember? 
they all started selling their properties and, and giving, it to the, giving it to the church so that nobody would be without. Well, in the midst of all this giving, one day, I hope I can get through this. I never can get through this story without crying because it just meant so much. An elderly woman, very elderly, a lot more elderly than I am now, a whole lot more. She stands up. Oh, I'm sorry. Somebody, when, when, the, when the offering plates went around, somebody found a ring, a set of rings, wedding ring, wedding, uh, a band and, a, and like an engagement ring. Saw it in the, in the collection. They said, excuse me, don't want to embarrass anybody. This was in the plate, basically. Has there been a mistake? And this elderly lady finally stood up. She didn't want to stand up for a long time because you're not supposed to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, right? She didn't want to be recognized for giving, but at the same time, she didn't want them to think it was a mistake. She stood up and said, no, it's, it's, it wasn't a mistake. I gave that. My pastor says, well, hon, why? Just straight up, in front of God and everybody, you know, just why? She said, my husband's been gone 10 years now. I knew this lady. <laughs> it would honor our marriage yes. if you would accept it yes. and build the kingdom. I'll never forget it. There was literally a silence that rested on that place and you could have heard a pin drop. And all of a sudden, a man in the back said, darling, I want to redeem those for you. The money goes to the kingdom, but you keep the rings. He said, go take it and evaluate them. Whatever they cost, I'll pay for it. And it, it just went even more after that. It was an incredible moment. That was her Worship. Yes. Worship. Because she had no cash. Except what she gave in her regular ties, you know, but she had no cash. But she wanted to do something and she prayed about it and she gave. Oh, what a day. <laughs> what a day it was. What a move of the Spirit it was. God will bring us into places like this, places of wilderness, places of enemy territory, to the point to get us to the point to where we we have to drop our own guard. We have to be vulnerable. We have to get to a place of of where we know I can't do this. I can't accomplish this. Not in my own strength. I don't have any means to do it. I don't have any way of getting it done. And then the Lord says, but I do. Let me take this for you. And he fights for us then. He fights for us then. He has to get us to a place, which is what Spurgeon said in this. Remember, he said, when you sleep at night, 
contemplate that you are resting in enemy territory. So this message today that God has sent me to deliver to you is not about enemy territory. Not about being in enemy territory. It's about resting in enemy territory. It's about worshiping our God in the presence of our enemies. The Bible says he has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Our father does not like the devil. We're the only ones that have anything to do with him. We're the only ones that agree with him every once in a while. God never agrees with the devil. You hear what I'm saying? He doesn't like him. And when the devil picks on us and cajoles us and tries to twist things and tries to get us to doubt and enter into unbelief, you can doubt for a long time, okay, without going into unbelief. But, un, but doubt unchecked will always go into a measure of unbelief. God hates that, see? And so when he sees the enemy of your soul working his thing, one of that third of angels that fell, he'll step in eventually when you call on him. When I call on him, he steps in. When you call on him, he'll step in. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He always gives us a way of escape in every temptation, in every trial, always. And I can see this. I prepared a table right here full of all of what my son needs, all that my daughter needs. And you're going to sit down and you're going to watch him or her eat. You move, you speak, and you got trouble. You, daughter, you, son, sit right here and eat in the presence of my enemy and eat all of it. See what I'm saying? That's our father. I don't like it when my kids get picked on. My grandkids, my, my children when they were younger, I didn't like that. I'll tell you a story later about one of those times and how it worked out for my daughter. I'm going to tell you another story. Israel were in captivity. They decided that they didn't want to serve God anymore the way that uh, they knew to, write, to do it rightly. And they started serving other gods. And so eventually, after prophet, after prophet, after prophet, prophesied, especially Jeremiah, uh, the one who nobody ever listened to, <laughs> he sent them into captivity in Babylon. And while they were there, it says this in Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the trees, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But we sat down and wept 
We hung up our instruments of praise. We asked ourselves, how can we sing songs of joy under these circumstances? You hear that? And isn't that the way we feel when we go through stuff? How, how, how can I sing a song of joy when this has just happened to me? I've been there. I know exactly what that struggle is like. I know exactly what that struggle is like. But the fact is, if you will take the harps off the trees and you strum that chord and you begin to sing songs of joy in the presence of your enemies, looking them eyeball to eyeball with a smile in your heart, whether you have a smile on your face or not, whether the tears are flowing down your cheeks or not, if you will sing that song, you will be declared an overcomer in heaven itself, and all heaven will rejoice over that one soul who lifted up a song in the presence of their enemies I know I'm right about that he who the sun sets free is free indeed and we need to go ahead and sing about it King David man after God's own heart came home one day and the whole village had been burned down probably not a rock standing on top of another rock he and his mighty men came upon this in Ziklag they realized that not only had the village been burned down and all their goods had been taken but that the enemy had taken all their family captive with them they were so grief stricken that the men who had followed David faithfully were now talking about stoning their, their leader this man after God's own heart. David, it says, separated himself from the group. Not because he was afraid they were going to stone him, but to separate himself from the group. And he walked over in the midst of his trouble and in the rubble. And the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. <laughs> he encouraged himself in the Lord. Oh, family's gone. Everything we've worked for is done. No more house. Everything's gone. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll just go over here, guys, and I'll encourage myself in the Lord. He reminded himself who God is. He reminded himself of who he is in God. And all of a sudden, when he got up to that place of faith, he asked this question, Shall I pursue this enemy? And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, you mighty right, you will. And without doubt, you will recover everything you go after. So David gets up. Now, this is what the Bible says. The Bible, you know, sometimes the Bible doesn't give you every little detail, right? You got to fill in gaps. Okay, I'm going to fill in a gap. I can't, I can't absolutely say this is true, but I can see this happening. You know, back in those days, they didn't ride horses. They rode mules. Did you know that? They rode mules. Okay. Now, now, Solomon had horses, and a lot of other people had horses, but for the most part, they rode mules because they're great desert animals. All right, so David 
He hears God say, without a doubt, you'll recover all. He goes out, throws his leg over his mule, and took off. The Bible doesn't say one thing about him saying, guys, God has just spoken to me that if we go now, all of us together, we go now, we will recover all. Doesn't say anything about that. Just says he threw his leg over that mule and took off. I promise you, I can just promise you that those guys with rocks in their hands said, well, crud. He's going to get himself killed out there. We might as well go along and back him one more time, right? David would have faced them down himself because he had a word from God. I guarantee you he would have. He did Goliath. Turned the whole, whole state of the, of the warfare in one moment. David goes and encourages himself in the Lord and off he went. Speaking of times that you don't know you can actually sing the song of Zion or not, songs of joy. Decades ago, in right at a two-year time span, there were a lot of tragedy that came to my family. First, my brother was murdered by my sister-in-law, and then she committed suicide. After that, my stepdad died. He was my best friend. He died. Mom lost everything she had. And then my natural father, my daddy, who I'd gotten to know in the latter years of his life, then he died. And then I went through a divorce. Needless to say, I was not a happy camper. And I sunk into a deep depression for a while. And yet, continued to lead worship and to preach. And people asked me when they found out later just how bad the depression had been, how on earth could you do that? Go up there and lead worship and be anointed? I said, because worship isn't about me. It's about declaring truth. It's about knowing truth. It's about declaring my testimony within the song. Because that's what makes songs real, guys. If, if we read the lyrics and it's somebody else's testimony and we're just reading their testimony, it can help some. But when we sing it, it doesn't affect as much as when you go, that line right there, been there. And I'm singing it back to you, Lord. I'm singing it back to you. I'm declaring it into the heavenlies. I'm declaring it into the darkness. I'm doing this in the presence of my enemies. My testimony. Again, I'm looking through all these stories here. We'll go straight to this one. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Paul and Silas had been arrested unjustly, thrown into the dungeon of a prison. 
and in the darkness, in the stench, because there were no bathrooms, in the stench, the darkness, the dampness of hay on the floor and smelly people. The Bible says at midnight, the darkest hour of the night, they prayed and sang praises to God and the prisoners heard them. The prisoners heard them. Suddenly, Luke, Dr. Luke, he wrote all this and, and he likes that kind of, he likes that kind of story. Suddenly, the foundations were shaken. The whole building shook and all the doors were opened. The jailer comes in thinking that everybody had fled and he was going to kill himself because he was a, a Roman citizen and that's the way it worked. You lose your prisoners on your watch, you're dead. When Paul says, calls out to him, do yourself no harm, we are all here. He rushed in and he said, then what must I do to be saved? And they preached the gospel to him and to his family. He cleaned them up and they were released the following morning. They chose. They chose. Love is a choice. Worship's a choice. It's not according to our circumstances. It's a choice in the circumstance. Not because of, but within the circumstance. We choose. Will we walk with worship, with a song of joy in our hearts and on our lips? Or will we go the other way? A similar story happened to me. Some of you have heard this story. But I'm going to tell you again anyway. Because I want to. No, because I really do believe this is the one. <clears throat> Back in 1980, I had uh, smuggled Bibles into the Soviet Union. Got those in successfully. God did miraculous things to get those Bibles in there. He blinded eyes. I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you all of the miracles that God did while we were in the Soviet Union. But then on the way out, when we went in, the Lord told me, he said, pray about everything. So I did. That was in the midst of one of the miracles where we almost got caught. And the Lord said, yeah, yeah, just pray about everything from now on. So we did until somebody slipped us some information saying, we want to get out of this place. Can you help us escape? Now, how am I going to say no to that? Isn't that, isn't that just the right thing, right? Isn't that just uh, uh, the Christian thing to do, to say yes to this? So I took the information and I put it on myself, not on my team. I said, this is, I'm going to, we all agreed, but still, I said, I'm going to take all the information myself. And we got to the border a few weeks later, got to the border leaving uh, the Ukraine. And just as we were heading to the, the border where the, where the checkpoint was, the Holy Spirit to told me this. He said, you didn't pray about that and you're going to get caught with it. But don't be afraid, I'm with you. But you're, this was a big deal, guys, okay? He said, but you're going to learn that obedience is better than sacrifice. 
Because what I'd done was a sacrifice, but I hadn't prayed about it. I was not obedient. I got caught. They pulled me, literally, big old boy, big old Russian soldier, pulled me over the counter, dragged me into the back where five others waited for me. Later on, I was in a jail cell myself, by, by myself. And they put one of the other people in with me. They wanted us to talk. So when they sat down, I went, shh. In other words, don't talk about details here. But they asked me, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. This is what I do know. And I began to speak truth about God. <clears throat> this is what I know. This is what I know. This is what I know. This is the truth. This is who we are. This is who he is. This is what we are. Not just who we are, but what we are. This is where we are. It's up to God what he will do with us now. And the presence of God filled that cell more strongly than I have ever felt it except for the first day I got saved. An incredible presence of God. Incredible. And I knew then, I said, okay, they've already told us we're on our way to prison. I can go there if you go with me like this. Yeah? I went out of that jail cell at one point to be held in another room. They gave me my clothes back. I'm sitting with a soldier across from me, probably three feet in front of me. He had his AK strapped to his chest and looking at me. He spoke no English. They, they determined that. They didn't want us speaking English. Uh, they didn't want us speaking to each other. They didn't know that I knew two songs in Russian. He is Lord and thou art worthy. And I kid you not, for an hour and a half, I looked that soldier in the eye and I sang that song back to back, those songs back to back. Thou art worthy and he is Lord. Thou art worthy, and he is Lord. For an hour and a half, nonstop, toward the end of that hour and a half, tears welled up in his eyes and then streamed down his cheeks, and he began to tremble. And just as that happened, the border guard commandant came into the room and said, you're free to go. And they released us at midnight into the darkness of communist Russia and into the eastern bloc of Romania. Singing songs in the presence of our enemies. Singing songs in the presence of our enemies. Hebrews 12, 12 says, Wherefore, lift up the hands, whether your own or your brethren's, that hang down, unable to continue the combat, and strengthen the feeble knees, unable to continue the race. 
can't lift up somebody else's arms if you're not willing to lift up your own arms. But when you lift up your own arms in private, just you and the Lord in the presence of your enemies, you will be strengthened enough to go and lift up your brothers and sisters' arms when they have no strength to do the same. You can't rest in the presence of your enemies in enemy territory if you don't know who God is, if you don't know who you are in God, if you're not assured of the covenant you have with God. But when you know him and when you know who you are and you know that his promises are true, then when he says no weapon formed against you, will prosper or have its intended end because you're established in my righteousness and not your own. You can trust that. Some say, well, there's a whole lot of trouble that goes on in the world. Seems like the devil's prospering. Of course he's prospering some, but he will not have his intended end with you. Not with you. Not with me. Not his intended end. He may beat you up a little bit till you come to the place of faith, but he won't have his intended end. I have a scar on my left forearm where a long stiletto switchblade entered my arm. I still carry the scar. It's covered with a tattoo pretty much now, but still, it's, I still carry the scar. It doesn't bleed anymore. It doesn't cause me any pain. Just a memory is all I have of that day. Somebody might say, well, it sounds kind of like he had his intended end with you. Trust me, he didn't. The man intended to kill me. It didn't happen. When I walk out into the street, the enemy every day intends to kill me. Today's the day he hopes to kill me. Today's the day he hopes to bring me to my knees to say I will not speak in the name of the Lord anymore just like Jeremiah did. But just like Jeremiah, the Lord, he said, the Lord shut up a fire in my bones and I could not withstand it. He had to keep going. He had to keep doing. He had to keep saying it, declaring it. The same will happen for us. Amen? Let's stand together, please.